Welcome to Stacey on the Right, the podcast, and we are doing video casts as well. And so familyvisionmedia.org is a website. Please share our content and rate us on Apple Podcasts whenever you can. All right. We have joining us today, Andrew Chapados. He is the host of Andrew Says of Rebel News TV. Andrew, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So let's talk a little bit about the gun control aspirations of the left. They have really made it clear that um, we don't need to harden schools. We don't need to spend time taking care of mental health issues. We don't really need to have a conversation around the family, uh, the nuclear family, because so many of the students who end up shooting up schools come from really broken families. Not, I'm not just talking about divorce. I'm talking about you know abuse and lots of interaction with DCFS and, and state agencies. And so instead of talking about any of that, we just want to focus on the tool that is used most of the time, which is a gun. Um, so talk to us about what to expect. They, they plan to pass some things before the midterm because they're hoping to run on this as their agenda has failed. But what do you see happening? Well, Stacey, a lot of the stuff I think that's happened in Canada already, I think that's what you'll see them push for in the United States. Like, for example, here, they can't really pass any laws based on functionality of weapons because that would allow people to say, hey, you know what, I could buy these guns that are different from what we've said, whether it's a difference between semi-automatic or automatic, which are of course banned in Canada and mostly unavailable in the United States. So what they do here is they have a giant list of banned weaponry. And in the last uh, round of legislation that they've tabled, they wanna ban another 1500 uh, makes and models of what they refer to as you know their definition of assault weapons um, or assault style weapons, whichever they're going with at the time really. So we already have all these things like, um, background checks and red flag laws and many, many different types of guns that are banned. And there's no open carry. There's no concealed carry. You know, you have to let the government know when you're traveling with a with a firearm. You have to let them know of all purchases. You can't just buy one off of a friend as you might in a state of Texas or Arizona or something like that. And of course, they're doing this in the name of safety, but it doesn't even have to have anything to do with Canada. They're basing this off of the recent events in Texas and uh, Buffalo. So they're increasing um, um, laws and expanding them based on those things. And it just goes to show you that all they need is any excuse that they can get. So I think the next, the first thing in the United States will be red flag laws, which of course on either side of the aisle you're on, that's going to be abused. If you're a Trump supporter, then the Democrats are going to say, you know, uh, this person's posting on this website or reading this person, they're, they're a danger. If you're a Democrat supporter or a Biden supporter, would you want a Republican determining whether or not you should be able to have a firearm? So that's the problems I th think that are going to come immediately. And as we saw, um, I don't know um, if, if anybody else watching saw already Matthew McConaughey, a big celebrity, is pushing for these red flag laws, which, not, which generally go ignored anyways. So I think that's the first step they're going to go with. So the thing with the red flag laws is I haven't seen any statistical data on jurisdictions that already have red flag laws pointing to the success of those red flag laws and preventing say you know domestic violence uh kind of interactions where a husband or a boyfriend is threatening a wife or girlfriend and that person then goes and gets a the red flag you know initiates that where the person then is deterred from actually harming that person so if we had some statistical data showing that the red flag laws were being used to prevent crime, then I think it would be 
much more of a like a selling point. I think a lot more Americans would say, oh, okay. So in these jurisdictions, red flag laws have worked. And so we have an opportunity here to kind of spread that success, but we don't have that at all. So Andrew, talk to me a little bit about it. Like they're, they're planning on running on these things, but gun control has statistically and historically been extraordinarily unpopular, especially during midterm election years. Also, we have data out there that shows that if the president, you know, so it's a Democrat in power, right? Biden, his party is going to suffer during the midterm unless there has been, you know, a, a markedly successful economy, uh, lots of jobs or some kind of domestic policy success, like a ringing success for the Democrats would have been if they could have gotten any part of their agenda passed on maybe green energy. If Americans were excited about that and they were able to pass it, get it through the House and the Senate, sign it into law, then they could tout that going into the midterm. We have no successes like that. We have rampant high inflation. And the proliferation of these shootings seems to point to something being wrong with our country. And so that, again, points back to the White House as in the White House is kind of responsible for our country. They're, they take credit whenever anything good happens. So they would consequentially be to blame because of this spate of mass shootings, how they continue to pop up. How do you see Americans actually taking all of this in? It, it really depends on what you watch, I think. If you're a person who gets their news from CNN or MSNBC, and you know the old talking points of all these corporate media organizations, then you're going to think there's a real problem. You're going to think just like in 2017 that people were being gunned in the streets by police. Um, it's a completely different issue, but the point is that depending on where you get your newsfeed from is what you may tend to believe. So as I see it right now, I think it's bad news for the Democrats in terms of the, uh, the midterms. I think they have to run on something. Um, people have stopped you know, buying the Ukraine narrative or they've just pushed that out and thought that it didn't work. And, and they need something more. And what it comes down to is the same recycled things. Um, I don't think the race card's working as well as it used to. Um, and uh, the abortion debate only lasted a few weeks. Like, obviously, it's it's constant and ongoing. But what seems <laughs> to be their top narrative right now is the gun control. And this is what they're going to go with. And you know what? Until it stops working, then that's how long they're going to use it for. Until, you know, that meme where they kick the first topic out of the van and then they pick up the next topic. That's basically <laughs> what it is. Everybody knows the new thing. I support the current thing. Everybody knows when that starts happening now. So it becomes more and more predictable what they're pushing. And it would be better for the, if you're a Democrat, it would be better for you if you can kind of disguise your agenda and not be as predictable. But when you have everything going in lockstep, whether it's social, like the CNN feed to social media, to like Snapchat and TikTok, to all the way back up to the White House, it's always the same thing all at the same time. So if Jimmy Kimmel's talking about it, you're pretty sure that Joe Biden's talking about it. And I don't think that's good in terms of convincing people whether they're right or wrong. It shouldn't be the same message all from top to bottom, or else it's going to become pretty obvious that you are, you know, pushing this message out as talking points. That's what I think. So I don't think it's going to work out well for them unless they find something that sticks. Maybe the gun control narrative will stick. Maybe they'll get something passed. I don't know. Um, I think that the a lot of the states will reject this. And like, how can you not? We see when people go for uh, open carry or concealed carries and they challenge these in uh, different states, everybody ends up, I shouldn't say everybody, but people end up winning because it's in the Constitution. Tim Poole talks about this a lot. Um, 
once you get to the constitution, unless they start changing the constitution, it's very hard for anything like this to pass in America. Whereas in Canada, we don't have a strict constitution, so you can just push things through with political might. Yeah. Yeah. And in Canada, what they did was they, they made the huge mistake of going to that kind of rank choice coalition type thing where instead of a two-party system where you have a clear choice between two things, you have all these different parties there. I think they have like five. So five of the parties, you would think there'd be five different viewpoints, but there aren't. There are really only two viewpoints and the conservatives have been reduced down to one political party. And then the two dominant parties are the moderate independents who are basically Democrats and then the hardcore radicals who are Democrats who are now socialists, right? So those two form a coalition and they're in control. And that's what Democrats want here in this country. So I just want to kind of highlight that because you mentioned Canada, Andrew. Um, one of the most important things we can do is to have the system that we've been gifted by the founders to maintain that and not go to a multi-party system because the multi-party system is the way that Democrats actually obscure the ideas that they're promoting, making it impossible for voters who aren't as informed to decide between something that's good and something that's bad. You have these variations, which then later, after they've gotten their five parties, two of the parties then congeal together and lock out any of the conservatives who want to actually get anything done. So I, I'm telling you, it's it's a it's a very interesting thing to live so close to Canada and see up close and personal what they're doing and how their freedoms are being stripped away from them. Yeah, to your point about the parties, the Conservative Party here is sort of more like, you know, your Mitt Romney's, your very mainstream uh, establishment Republicans. You have to go even more obscure to the right to find a party that stands up for freedom. Now, there's only a couple, there, there's one of those federally, there's a couple of those in my province, my state, um, but they don't have any seats anywhere in the country because um, we're on this, we're in this system where it's all about seats, just like England, and then the, whoever has the majority of the seats controls the government. And you're right, Justin Trudeau has teamed up with the further left party so that they can basically, basically push through whatever they want. And the inherent, uh, dishonesty and inherent contradiction there is you have the power in this country just like biden has but you still say how unequal it is and how inconsistent the laws treat women or black people or anything like that or gay people but they're in power so either these inequalities don't exist or they're not doing anything about it because they don't care the idea that justin trudeau or joe biden are having so much trouble and facing so much opposition is not really a valid argument. And people have said that about Trump in his first couple of years as well, where they, they had the House and they had uh, the Congress and, and they didn't push through the wall, for example. But it has to go both ways. And when the leaders of both countries are saying, look at all of this inequality and nothing's getting done and it's the other side's fault. Well, you can't really say that when you're the ones in power. You sort of just have to get things done or else people aren't going to believe you anymore. And we've reached this point in Canada where people don't have any choice left. The government does what they want. You saw that with the, the trucker convoy, where if you disagree with the government, you get your bank account frozen. If you donate to them was the cause there. Um, they still don't allow travel for unvaccinated in our country on planes, trains, or boats. So that requires vaccination and masking still. And we're the, the latest deadline is the end of June. So we, to your point of looking to Canada to find out what's coming next, it's completely true for gun laws, for you know, creeping totalitarianism, and of course, other things like healthcare, 
which uh, you're going to hear Bernie Sanders start talking about soon, I imagine. <laughs> he should yeah. be coming out of the golden crypt here shortly to start talking about billionaires. And it just, every time I hear him say it, I think about Andrew, how he used to say millionaires and billionaires. But now that he's a millionaire, he only talks about the billionaires. And so I'm just waiting on someone to give him an opportunity to invest in something where he could then become a billionaire. And then he'll finally sit down and shut up because I'm so sick. Every time I hear the sound of his voice, I just... It's almost like it sends me into a case of mild PTSD. Um, <laughs> it's trillionaires. Yeah. Yeah. The and trillionaires. The, the thing that we really need is more millionaires, billionaires, and we need our first trillionaire. I mean, we have Elon Musk, the richest man on the planet who happens to live in America. He's an immigrant. But um, the more wealthy people we have who are philanthropically minded and solutionary, like, you know, they want to solve problems, um, we can kind of unleash them onto the problems that the government has created and have the private sector individuals fix these problems. And, you know, the other thing is we seem to like to describe all of these things as something that can be fixed just once, right? Like I just said, fix these problems, but we don't clean our bathrooms just once. We don't clean our kitchens just once, right? We take the time to clean them. And we know that we'll be cleaning them again in short order. Sometimes, well, with our kitchens, we clean those every day. With bathrooms, it's once a week or more, depending on what's going on at your house. You know, you might have to go in there more than one time. We don't ever say, oh my gosh, we need to drain our bathroom or we need to drain the kitchen. No, we, we're not draining a swamp. We're, we're cleaning Washington, D.C. And then we know once it's clean, it begins to get dirty instantly, immediately, and then we'll have to do it again, which means new people will come in. Some will disappoint us. Some will be amazing. Some will need to stay and be reelected. Some will need to be cleaned out, removed, and you know, replaced with people who actually do what they said they're going to do and answer their promises. These are things that we have to start thinking about differently, I think, if we're going to actually see some progress. Um, my hope is that, because I, I, I think Canada, the people of Canada are just so amazing. I have a lot of Canadians who listen to my night show on Sirius XM because we broadcast in Canada. And so they'll call in and they'll say, oh, you know, we believe in freedom too. You know, we, we just don't have the same constitutional protections, but we believe in freedom and we want to see better government. And so I know that Canada has amazing people and that you deserve an opportunity to have the government governed by different parties, which means you can see examples of how this party's ideas work as opposed to that party's ideas, and then have the two parties actually fight for your vote. Because sometimes when I'm listening to uh, Trudeau, I call him um, the, the Aladdin of the North because he kind of looks like the cartoon character. Um, he probably dresses him once or twice as well. I mean, I've seen some of the pictures of him in costume. He really looks a lot like he could be related to Aladdin. So I'll see him <laughs> making these pronouncements. And Andrew, I have to say, he acts like he's y'all's king. He acts like he's related to Harry, uh, Prince Harry, you know, uh, Harry, Prince Harry Windsor, I think his last name is Windsor. They, he really believes that he's somehow just a little bit more special than the average everyday Canadians who make your country great, who run your country, who make all of the things happen there. Justin Trudeau's not making stuff happen in Canada. The people of Canada are making stuff happen in Canada. So I really hope that y'all switch it up a little bit. Next go round when you vote that you give fewer seats to the two major left wing left wing parties so that you can have them fighting over your your votes and actually treating you with respect like public servants instead of like royalty because they're they're like unless I check Trudeau he's not actually royal. He's not related to the royals. He's he's not royal. So, yeah. Well, 
the thing is Justin Trudeau has been voted in three times now, but the, the, the absolute limit for Canadians usually is around 10 years. The prime minister before him was 11 years. So I think there could be something to be said for term limits in that regard, but you only need about one third of the, of the seats in this country to be the leader. And I think that speaks to your, your promotion of the two party system here. Now, I don't know if you can have at this day and age in America, a third party that's truly pure pop up, be very, very difficult to parse that through unless somebody super popular, Elon Musk starts his new, his own party or something with Kanye, you know, but in, in, in Canada, people are still voting for trust in Trudeau and uh, it's not the popular vote anymore. Not that that is what gets you elected, but in the last two elections, he, and in the most recent one, he called an election in the middle of the pandemic, which was basically a, do you agree with what I'm doing right now? And a third of the country said yes. And there are places in this country where people will vote based on what their parents voted for, or they'll vote on very specific um, agenda points. And there was a sentiment in this country, um, and I dare say from from the older population says he's just doing the best he can. He's just trying to take care of everybody. And what do we have now? We have a massive debt. We have inflation, albeit not as high as the United States. And we have a government that doesn't let you leave the country. I can't come and be on your show in the United States unless I drive across the border and take a plane out. There was a viral video that came out the other day from a former hockey player, and you know how much we value them here, but he's on the Barstool Sports Network, and he says he's been spe he spent 12 hours at the airport because they tried to reroute him different flights. There's all these COVID restrictions still. He wanted to go and drive to Buffalo and fly. He couldn't. They held his, his uh, luggage hostage. But we've got so many problems here, and they're basically fundamental rights. Our, our freedom of movement is supposed to be in our, our Constitution and in our Charter of Rights. But uh, there's a third of the country that still, you know, to use a tire term, is not awake. And then there's another 15 to 20 percent that are even further left. And then there's another 30 to 40 percent of people that enjoy their freedom. So it's going to take people to say, you know what, I really want more of my own decision making. I want to take it away from the government. And I don't know if those if that's the majority of people in it here anymore. And I'm sorry to sound so drab and dark, but last two years have proven that there may not be enough people in this country to say, you know what, we don't need the government to tell us what to do. We don't need to be like a Texas or an Arizona or a Tennessee or even a South Dakota. We seem to be stuck in that little gray area where we're, we're just like, well, we want some of the freedoms, but we do want the government to take care of us. I mean, you could never overturn abortion laws in this country, which there are none. Uh, to repeat, there are zero restrictions in this country. You're going to have a hard time rolling back some of the gun measures, and you're never going to get away from socialized health care either. These are topics that the politicians don't dare touch on. So what I'm hoping for in the future is that you just let people know that there are ways to govern better, and usually that's with less government, frankly, but I don't, I don't know. Um, the next election might be the end of the line for Justin Trudeau, but he is talking like a king. He's his most recent um, his most recent speech to young people. He was talking about how important it is to speak to the other side and speak to people who have never voted for him, which is exactly the opposite of what he did with the freedom movement. Those marches, those rallies, he refused to speak to them. He put some of the people in jail. He fined other people and seized bank accounts. So I don't think there's any future with Justin Trudeau with the word freedom attached to it, for, quite frankly. Well, I think you put it very eloquently. Um, as I tell my Canadian listeners, I say, well, we just got to keep praying and keep hoping for the best and keep hoping that people will kind of, instead of giving him the benefit of the doubt because he looks like Aladdin, 
actually hold him accountable for what he's doing to the people of Canada. Um, but until then, thank God for social media and for actual, um, you know, different mechanisms by which we can connect across all of these thousands of miles. So you don't have to travel. I'm unvaccinated as well. And I've always wanted to go to Canada, but I, I fear that my time has passed. I won't get a chance to go. Um, but that's okay because the internet enables me to be able to see all parts of Canada. And you guys have a ton of great decorating shows that are on HGTV, which I actually watch. Name one. Well, um, that one where... I don't know any of them, by the way. The two people. Property Brothers? No, no, I I think they're Canadian, but no, I'm talking about um, Love It or List It. That's my favorite Canadian show. Very good. Good name. Although, I have to say, I think they're shooting some of those episodes in the United States now, which is kind of weird because they used to do it in Canada, and I got to see what y'all's houses look like before (laughs) and after. Well, it's interesting that I learn about some places, like we have our social media guy named Yakov, and he lives in Florida, and I get to learn things about how they don't have basements in Florida, for example, because of the swamp. So, you know, it's always interesting to see where other people live. I think in Canada, you're going to get a lot more um, people who are living in smaller homes as opposed to, um, you know, country estates or anything like that in in the United States, depending on where you go, of course. And the (laughs) townhouse, I'd imagine, is far more popular in Canada. That's all they're building these days, for better or for worse. For worse, to be honest, where you don't see a lot of those in the U.S. From what I, from my see, it's we have a ton of those. We have a tons ton of, of those. Okay, yeah, well then I'm we completely have tons wrong. Of condos, apartments. We have tons of apartment buildings. We have tons of small houses and uh, condos. But so the the decorator shows usually focus on the larger McMansions, houses in bigger neighborhoods, houses with unique character like bungalows, which are in towns where you know. So they have certain ones that they focus on, which makes people who don't live in America think that we all have those houses. But my husband and I, our first place, when we first got married, we rented a townhouse. It was in a townhome community with a, a swimming pool in the middle, a huge swimming pool in the middle. When you would come out of your bedroom onto your tiny balcony, you could look down into the pool and you had a direct access through your patio to the pool. Um, after that, we lived in apartments the first few years of our marriage until we started having kids. And then we bought a four family apartment building and lived in that rented out the other three units. Then we sold that and moved into a single family home that was about 2000 square feet, four bedrooms, two and a half baths and lived there for 10 years until the kids, you know, the two girls and a boy, the boy was starting to really get sick of never being able to go into the bathroom. So we bought a big, big place on three acres where everybody has their own bathroom. And I'm telling you, I've seen every variation thereof because we used to be house junkies. So we'd go on house tours on the weekend. That was like our little date thing. We'd go get something to eat. The kids would be at the babysitter and we'd go on house tours and go look at big houses and kind of think, wow, wouldn't it be great to have this much space for the kids? Now we have it. And the the big deal is keeping it clean and actually like keeping the furniture out of it. Because if the bigger your place, the more stuff just the stuff comes in, it comes in, nothing goes out, comes in, come in. So that's what we're working on now. But I tell you what, it is, we have townhouses. We have whole, we were actually in Denver (laughs) last weekend and we saw all of these new home developments and they were all condos and townhouses and very families. So I'm telling you, you just, the, the TV people make you think all of us live in these big, huge places. Some people do. And lots of people live in townhouses and small single families. And uh, we even have tiny home communities now where these glorified sheds, that's your whole house. Oh yeah. 
uh, yeah, we're Americans, you know, and a lot of people are living in RVs now, like younger people, mm. they buy an RV, sell their house, couples with kids, four kids and a husband and wife living in an RV, driving across the country, going to parks to access Wi-Fi so they can work during the day and then at night driving and yeah, people converting school buses into houses. This is America. We got all very, that. Very, very zombie apocalypse. Um, yeah. there's, there's not enough housing here. Our housing prices have skyrocketed. And when I check the prices in Texas, for example, um, or Florida, and I do the conversion rate, we're, we're about two times as, as, as expensive as Texas and about a third higher than Florida. For the same size, um, somebody I was talking to, um, same size of house as mine, theirs was going for 700000 whereas the, the last house I rented was $1.7 So there's the difference there. There's a huge demand oh. for housing here, but there's just not enough houses. The, there's not enough competition, and rent rent has gone up by almost $1,000 in the last year and a half um, mm -hmm. for a home. And what's happening is, and uh, people aren't going to like this, but there's a lot of uh, Chinese immigrants um, and a lot of Indian immigrants coming, buying homes, and then renting out the properties, so much so that even the liberal Justin Trudeau government has had to put taxes on uh, foreign home ownership. There is a home vacancy tax as well. So they have to do all these things, not less than immigration, of course, but they have to do all these things to try to make it a more competitive market for first-time home buyers. You can even have a home uh, a down payment of only five percent in Canada now if you're a first uh, time home buyer, which is of course very low. You'll be mm -hmm. paying a very high mortgage, but they're trying to get people to get their foot in the door somehow. But it's still not really working, to be honest. There needs to be a complete overhaul of the system almost, or they could just start building a lot more houses, which they're not doing. It's mostly townhouses and uh, and condos, like you're saying, even in places that are outside of big cities. I don't know where else in Canada to go. So, you know. <laughs> well, we have some similar things going on here, but it's driven by big uh, investment houses like BlackRock buying up entire subdivisions and then renting them out so that they can make a profit for their investors. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think the big deal is obviously you want better immigration policy. You want to prioritize your own citizens. And when you see people coming in, foreigners coming in and purchasing that property, instead of making like a, it, you can buy a house for 5% down, which doesn't actually help the buyer because you have no equity. You, what you do is you just put a limit on how many houses foreign entities can own. The, they can only own 1% of the housing stock in any given neighborhood. That's a law you could pass that would actually make Justin Trudeau popular because it would mean that people who live in Canada would say, wow, at least we know that only 1% of the homes in any given neighborhood can be owned by foreign entities. They have to actually live here and in order to purchase. And also you could put a cap on how many homes can be renter occupied. I mean, we we could sit here all day and go over fantastic ideas that you and I could come up with and we're not politicians and we're not we're not professors. We're not we don't have any of that stuff, but we just could think up some really great things and then if there are unintended consequences, there's also the the intention that you had initially which is higher home ownership rates for Canadians. So, you know, you you kind of pick your battle and then once the pendulum starts to tip in the other direction and investors are feeling like they can't get into the market, then you lift the cap and, you know, let, let the market kind of right itself a little bit and then put it back on in an economy where there aren't enough houses. You want to actually give the tax breaks to the builders to encourage them to build more housing stock. So as usual, Aladdin has his focus on the wrong thing, but for me, 
I'm so glad we got to meet and talk. I love Canada. Um, Andrew Lawton is my Canadian friend. Now I have two oh, Canadian yeah, friends. Yeah, I like Andrew Lawton. Sometimes yeah, I call so my Andrew big brother. Lawton, and now Andrew Chapados, host of Thank Andrew you. Says on Rebel News TV. Thank you so much for joining me today on my podcast. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Of course, we'll have to try to get you on the show coming up. On, we have all our guests for June, but maybe July or August, we can get you to come on. I would love to. I would love to join you. All right. So you know what you can do? Rate us on Apple Podcasts, share this video cast, and we'll see you next time at familyvisionmedia.org. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Stacey.